Hello, parents and educators. This is Bob Mack with the Indie Parents and Educators podcast. Today, we're talking about college admissions and the return to school during the COVID-19 crisis. As you can imagine or may already be aware, things are going to be a little different for both new students and returning students as they get back to college classes this fall. We talked about this topic with our friend John Baird, president of College Planning Strategies. John's business is assisting parents and families of college-bound students with their college planning campaign through finding the best schools for the student based on academics, geography, culture, and athletics, while both improving their financial aid picture and assisting them with other goals. John lives and works in Indianapolis, and he's put his own three children through colleges that include Stanford, Brown, and the University of Denver. So he's not only a professional college planner, but he's someone who sees things from the perspective of a parent. We started our conversation with John talking about ACT and SAT testing. Is it still important? And we'll join that conversation with John Baird after a brief word from our sponsor. I'm Lisa, owner and director of the Indianapolis Huntington Learning Center. During the current health and education crisis, Huntington Learning Center is proud to introduce Huntington Study Hall. Huntington Study Hall offers students the opportunity to attend their virtual schools and an accredited Huntington Learning Center in a structured environment. Huntington Study Hall is also available online. Our certified teachers are on hand to help throughout the day. We can help. Call us at 1-800-CAN-LEARN. That's 1-800-CAN-LEARN today. Optional. A lot of schools are moving to the test optional, at least they had done it before COVID. Now they're definitely looking at it as a current COVID, post-COVID scenario. And they're, they're saying that they're doing this in order to attract a greater diversity in students favoring a well-rounded application. But how do you define what is meant by well-rounded? Someone in a a lower economic situation may not be able to get out and do what they want to do in the the community service scenario. So that portion of their application may not be as as effective as someone in, let's say, a higher income scenario. So how do you, how are the schools going to define what is well-rounded when, you know, someone may only have a GPA and, and a test score as opposed to maybe a well-written essay or not so well-written? So writing doesn't necessarily be speak intelligent. By removing the focus on the ACTSAT, are they going to create a greater bias in admissions? Where, where is the focus going to be? Is it going to be, you know, back on the GPA? Is it going to be on the essay? Is it going to be on community service? And how will that impact the, the potential students that they're actually trying to attract by, by removing the importance of the ACTSAT. There's some big issues that I don't think they've really thought through. The University of California system has actually gone through total elimination of it. They're not, no longer going to take the ACTSAT at all, and a number of other schools are doing that. So they're going to create their own exam. And, and, and by creating that to, to eliminate the bias of the ACTSAT, are they actually going to inadvertently create a greater bias in the tests that they do create? So it's going to be interesting to see what they come up with, because if it truly is uh, bias-free, then that's going to be, I think, the model for, for testing throughout the land down the road. Well, John, those are great points. And there are a couple of questions that have come up. And I, Paula raises a very interesting point here in the chat window that COVID has limited a lot of community service opportunities because obviously we're staying in the home for the most part. One of the things I know you and I have talked about as far as really developing that resume for college admission is GPA and test scores are certainly important, but also what are your activities in the community? Are you, are you doing service at your school within the community, et cetera? Do you think of, are there opportunities now 
or are schools just accepting of the fact that opportunities are limited right now in the admissions process? Have you heard anything along those lines? I haven't heard anything one way or the other, but I would think that if they are removing the, reducing the importance of the ACT, SAT, they have no choice but to make the community service less important as well, because if you're not able to get out and you have to social distance and or stay at home, depending on the state that you're in, that you have no ability to do the community service. Now, you may have been able to do it freshman through junior years, per se, and maybe part of senior year, depending on where you are in the, in the scheme of things. But you know, moving, you know, at least moving forward in 2020, you haven't been able to do anything for the, for those, those applications. If you were really looking at doing your your community service during your senior year, you've, uh, (laughs) you haven't really planned accordingly. So basically don't wait to the last minute to try to squeeze in community service because circumstances might. The reality is the schools don't want you to get involved in 10 to 20 different activities. They want you to pick two, three, or four and focus on that to show that you're really dedicated to to what you're trying to do and, you know, maybe, you know, even get an officer position. So if an officer position is of importance to the schools, then you really can't wait till your senior year to do community service. You've got to get involved, you know, beginning your freshman year and doing something. Yeah, that's an excellent question. And one thing I will say in, in response also to Paula's question is I have seen some what I might call COVID-specific community service opportunities come up, um, like Indianapolis Public Schools is distributing food for families and using the school buses, in fact, as the delivery vehicles to go to centralized sites. And um, I've actually volunteered a few times for passing out food boxes to families who drive up and it's uh, sort of contact free. People are wearing masks and all that important stuff. And Gleaners Food Bank, who is partnered with IPS, is always looking for people to volunteer as well. But there are some of those types of things. Lisa also asked, do you you have any thoughts on whether a student at this point should be taking the ACT or the SAT? Is that really school specific or do you think there's a preference there? I think this is like the way I I counsel my clients is that we want want the student to take an ACT exam and an SAT exam without taking study courses first just to see how they do on each one. And then the one that they perform stronger on is the one they should focus on taking additional exams, taking a study course, et cetera, so they can improve their results, how they take the tests, get rid of some fears in taking the tests, some nervousness, et cetera. And to take it two to three more times because frankly, the schools will, the schools will super score, which means they'll take the best portion of each exam that you've taken and add it up into a specific total score. So that, that was, that will lead to the better you do on those specific sections. And if you take it more than once, then that'll lead to potentially additional financial aid, depending on the student and the family. So taking that test or both tests once the first time kind of points you in a direction, gets you on a path to yeah, specifically, I mean, specifically since the SAT focuses on math and verbal and the ACT focuses on numerous topics, so you may be stronger, you know, in the topics that aren't seen on the SAT. So the ACT might be overall stronger and better test for you. Well, great. Well, those are our questions for the ACT, SAT section. And I think there's some important takeaways there. The ACT and SAT tests are still important because schools are looking for them and you still want to be able to differentiate yourself. I would ask you one question, John, you mentioned University of California system is 
dropping the requirement for either of the standardized tests. If you were in California or applying to a California school, would it still be potentially beneficial to you as a student to take the test, even though they're not requiring it? I think it would be uh, for definitely the reason, because, you know, when you're looking at what they, the admissions officers look at, and they're going to look at your G, high school GPA, they're going to look at the essay, they're going to look at your, your, your social resume per se. What is going to what is going to separate two relatively identical applications? And it's going to be, I think, they still are going to need to look at some sort of test. And, and the reality is, they, even though they're eliminating the ACT, SAT requirement, they're developing their own tests. So they're going to, and, until they've got that test in place, I still think it's important to take one or the other. Because right. if, if all things being equal, you have to have something that decides the, you know, who gets the offer of admission. Well, Lisa mentions also in the chat box that, a scholarship opportunity could be missed if you don't have the ACT or SAT. But that is true. And then Paula mentions that that she's finding that ACT, SAT scores are not used for admissions, but it comes also into financial aid, very much like scholarships. I guess at the end of the day, probably you're you're way better off to take the test, right? Or one of the factors. Still factors into admission because even though it's kind of a dual-edged sword, if it's going to factor into financial aid, they're going to give more financial aid to the student that performs better on the test. Both sides of the same coin, so to speak. Yeah, so not to belabor that point, but I guess the idea here is don't let the fact that the requirement is being dropped fool you into thinking you shouldn't be taking the test, right? That's correct. At least until something better comes along, right? (laughs) Right, until something better comes along, which maybe it will. So the next section is the high school GPA. Where does it stand now, right? In the most recent past, let's say the last five to 10 years, the importance of the GPA is has, has gone by the wayside. It's maybe been 10 to 15% of the, what the admissions officers focus on. Frankly, there's been a lot of inflation, maybe hyperinflation in GPA. For example, everybody applies to Butler, you know, has like a 4.2 or better. So, you know, they're all like, let's say valedictorians, salutatorians, et cetera. But Coming from a, a let's say a, a academic powerhouse versus a small rural school, those 4.3s, 4.5s in the eyes of the admissions officers aren't equivalent. That's why that's why the the focus on GPA has gone to the by the wayside up until most recently. But it's still an important factor in differentiating between candidates. It really is. You know, again, the focus is really going to be on where did you matriculate from from high school, you know, your high school education. But did you have a, you know a lot of assets that were available to you, or not so many you know, that were that allowed you to get that GPA? But now it's uh, with the option, optional scenario with the ACT-SAT, I think it's going to have an upward trend in importance. And in fact, there's been study out there that the GPAs have a five times greater ability to predict success at the collegiate level. And I, I really have to think there's some, some credibility in that study because, you know, there's a lot of people I know that can do very, very well on standardized tests and uh, maybe weren't as successful at the collegiate level as someone else that didn't perform as well on those tests. I know there's a, there's a lot of people that uh, I went to school with and there's a lot of people out there in the marketplace that test well on standardized tests, but don't really know how to learn and implement that learning into what they do on a daily basis. So where does the student focus? Definitely strive for the highest GPA. 
And here's what uh, with the schools, the schools want the students to take the, the, the courses that will challenge them, but not overwhelm them. So let's say if they're struggling in an AP course, they're getting C's, maybe an honors course would be the better fit for them. They, what they don't want to see is a student taking just the basic course, acing everything, and then getting a fantastic score on the ACT or SAT. Because then they know by taking the basic, if they don't have any AP courses or honor courses on their on their transcript, then they know that they weren't they didn't challenge themselves. So they will that will be a strike against the student. Again, going back to the ACT SAT, you definitely want to focus on doing the very best that you can on it, even if it's a not you know it's optional at the schools you're applying to. It still may be the difference between getting an offer of admission and or additional financial aid. At least that's the way I see it at the moment. Okay, so is it fair then to say our, our GPA grade point average takeaways are you're expecting that the GPA is going to increase in importance. The right. tests are something of a question mark, et cetera, right? Right. It may not be as much this year or next, but uh, over the course of time, I think it'll gain more importance, especially if the studies continue to show that GPA in high school will be a greater, provide a greater definition of success than standardized testing would. And Lisa is asking the question, too, that you're really talking to or speaking to on focusing on getting the highest GPA. But it's really, I think what you're saying is it's a question of mixing challenging classes with getting the highest GPA. You can't just take the cakewalk classes and get Correct. a 5-0. Correct. I.e., the college yeah, the admissions GPA. people are going to look at the class load. Right. The highest GPA under that, that you've been able to challenge yourself to achieve, I guess, if that makes sense. Okay. You know, you want to you want to challenge yourself to make sure that you're in a place where you know, you're actually learning and, and you know maybe even a little bit of a struggle uh, as opposed to the cakewalk where you don't have to study, learn how to study, etc. So definitely don't want to overwhelm yourself, but you have to challenge yourself because you're going to be challenged in college. So there's there's obviously a balancing act there. Getting a 3.0 grade point average with hard classes is not helping you. Getting a 4.0 instead of a 4.5 with challenging classes, though, might be a better scenario, I think is what you're saying, right? Right, especially especially when you're looking at adding in the essay, the community service, and, and still, I, I still think focus on the SAT, ACT, that's going to that's gonna be a well-rounded application. Now, here's a big, big question right now, right? Absolutely. Uh, you know, will, will colleges and universities survive the, the, the COVID era? That's a, that's a very good question. So not too long ago, it was predicted that 50% of schools will be bankrupt by 2023 to 2028. And that was because annual, annual revenue began falling short of expectations. And that was tied into a downward trend, trend in, uh, in the college age demographics. Started having a uh, certain point, uh, fewer and fewer births resulting down the road, fewer and fewer people available to attend college, right? Not only did uh, the revenue and demographics trend downward, but when classes began, began to offer courses online, they actually were not able to collect as much revenue per student because the, you know, a lot of the revenue might be derived from the students being on campus. That's pre-COVID-19. Now that uh, the COVID-19 era, the market downturn, a drastic market downturn, endowments were heavily impacted. So by doing, by the, the impact that uh, COVID has had, there's going to be less financial aid available and potentially greater competition for better students. And in fact, um, even though there might be less financial aid available, the schools might be more inclined to give greater financial aid packages to the students they perceive to be the better 
the better candidates for admission. And, and I think the Department of Justice not too long ago released some uh, guidance that is going to make competition for students like the Wild West. In fact, whether in, whether in writing or gentlemen's agreement pre-COVID, dual schools didn't compete for students once they chose the school they were going to attend or once they were enrolled in that school. I think now the schools actually themselves think there's going to be competition to get kids to transfer. And so there might be more financial aid for current students or the the better prepared students. So you're definitely going to have to have that well-rounded application for admission. There are some schools that uh, are moving to online instruction for the fall and perhaps longer. The University of California has already said they're doing online for the fall, but I think that's going to be a mistake for not only the UC system, but for schools across the country because parent, my clients and you know, parents and students in general, they, they, they pay those hefty, hefty prices for the on-campus experience. So if they're going, they're going online completely, then I can tell you that, uh, through studies, and in fact, I have two kids in college right now. One's is already one's already graduated. They uh, they do not appreciate the online experience. They it was not a good experience for them. It it's you know they may have still had some education, some learning, but I mean the exams were open book. One of us one was ten days long, so it's kind of hard not to to pass an exam like that, right? But I'm also going to counsel my clients to possibly defer enrollment if they want the on-campus experience and they're not going to get it in the fall and maybe not all year, you know, next academic year, defer it for a portion of the year or all, you know, until the, the next academic year. Just because I think the on-campus experience is vital for numerous reasons. I mean, you meet the people that are going to be lifelong friends. You meet the people that are going to be your connections for potential occupations and employment down the road, et cetera. There have been a lot of changes in school choice. They've Students have rethought the career paths they want to pursue, and so they've changed schools. They thought they were going to attend, and now they're attending somewhere else. So there's a lot of uh, upheaval in the situation. In fact, Notre Dame, for example, recently you know published that they were going. To, they expected a hundred million dollar deficit from what where they were going to be, and that might be over the next one to four or five years. It's uh, <laughs> there's a there's a lot of upheaval, upheaval, and there's a lot of uh, financial aid that's going to be on the table for the better prepared students. So, I think it's very important to for families and, and students to make sure they've they've availed themselves of all the tools they can to be successful and to actually plan their college funding in the best way possible. And, you know, just like taxes, you can shelter income from taxation. You can certainly shelter income from the financial aid calculations. And, you know, there's a lot of things that parents can do. Well, that's great. You know, I tell you, I, it really jumps out at me when you say that you might in some circumstances, and I don't know if I'm characterizing this correctly, John, and please correct me if I'm not, you might recommend deferring going to college this fall, that you might suggest that, and that apparently the 20% of seniors right now are already saying they are going to defer. Is that right? That seems huge that's, to me. That's from the surveys that I've seen, correct? Yes, that is that is huge. And, okay. you know, a lot of it is, you know, let's say, you know, a lot of it's tied to the, the finance, you know, how finances were impacted, not just on the school basis, but on the personal basis as well. Okay. You know, it seems like a lot, but I would have thought it might be even more than that. Wow. Well, you know, Paula's saying the same thing here, that her son had a similar experience um, with online learning. They apparently live in Indiana, and he goes to school in South Carolina, and they have opted for him to stay off campus in an apartment 
because they want to be able to keep him down there if there's a new surge of uh, COVID. But Paula, if I'm not mistaken, you're saying your your son, you and your family were not thrilled with the online learning option. Awesome. Thank you for that, Bob. Yeah, so my son was not, hi everyone, my son was not impressed and neither was I with the online learning because he goes to a small school and so their infrastructure was not in place to be able to support online learning. So the first day of online learning, the whole system crashed like (laughs) and was down and he's in a smaller city in South Carolina so they really don't have the infrastructure around internet support. Where does he go? He goes to Claflin University in Orangeburg, South Carolina. And so that's a part of it. And the other part I wanted to mention really quickly is that he's an athlete. So he lost a lot of his funding because he's a spring sport. He's baseball. They cut it (laughs) because there was no baseball season. My son son plays for for, uh, Brown University and he lost his senior year. Absolutely. Yeah, so there's a lot of implication with the COVID era. Normally, he would stay on campus. I mean, that's what they want most of the athletes to do. But I told them he cannot stay on campus because I can't go through the the fire drill getting him back home. That was crazy. So, yeah. Well, and I think the only thing right, we know right, for right. certain about COVID is that we don't know anything for certain, right? I mean, we have no <laughs> idea. Exactly. Yeah. Thank you, Paula. That was great. That's a great insight and a firsthand experience. Lisa's always asking, also asking, excuse me, what will deferring enrollment do to the class of 2021? For example, if let's say 20% as your statistics suggests of seniors this year are deferring until either spring or into the fall of 2021, is it going to create an even more hyper competitive scenario for students come next fall, fall of 2021, John? Well, it certainly could. It's it's going to depend on how the schools survive. I mean, if they uh, schools um, because the revenue dependent student uh, schools don't survive and they shut down, you know, go bankrupt or merge with other schools, then you're going to have fewer places for the students to land. Which means then, depending on the schools that are that still still exist, they have, well, they have the financial aid wherewithal to help students uh, become part of the the class of 2021. So there's there's a lot of there's a lot of fallout, a lot of factors that are going into this whole thing that that many pe- many schools and pe- parents and families haven't even considered yet. So I don't think we have any idea what the true fallout is going to be for the next one to five years. Well, I think your projection slide really covers a lot of those possibilities, and they're still really possibilities. I don't think again anything's certain at this point, right? Yeah, no, not well, other than the, the schools that have actually closed forever. In fact, my brother pitched at Urbana University and he's still got five of the 10 pitching records still in the top 10 on five of them. And, and I actually went out and while they were still at a website and they'll stay still do, I, I printed off all the records so that I have, I can oh, you know, wow. put, you know, put them together and, and hand, give it to them. But uh, Urbana University's closed. Other small schools have closed. Wisconsin's rolling back their satellite campuses. They won't have as many. I know schools are looking to merge with each other. They, I don't think they'll have any choice but to, to consider what courses of study they offer and the degrees that, degrees that are available because, frankly, degrees in women's study, I don't think parents are going to want to – no disrespect to women in general, but the parents aren't going to want to pay for a degree that you may or may not you know, have any 
potential for employment after you are granted the degree. If they're going to reconsider the courses they offer, they're going to have to consider reductions in staff, whether it's educators, administrators, maintenance, what have you. There's going to be a lot of fallout, I I think, but uh, maybe not. But I don't, I don't see, you know, with as many people lost their jobs or were furloughed or, or what have you over the past three to four months, I don't think the schools have any other option but to do that if they want to keep their doors open. And, you know, we have some takeaways here, maybe just to touch base on. But what we do know, again, is that there will be change. We've seen some of it. We, we, we can predict what some of it might be, but we're going to have to wait and see on a lot of it. And, and I actually put this line in, my apologies, John, keep your options open because you may be counting on or applying to a school that you may decide in two or three months is changed enough that it's no longer a good fit for you. Or theoretically, that school might not even be offering classes in two or three months. Not only that, but you also might want to consider schools that you may have thought were not available to you maybe you know let's say more more pricey but have a better education result just because like i said the demographics are are trending downward so if you're a decent student or, or you know better than average student with a, a great a great uh, application you might be able to get money from schools you never would have thought of attending to begin with definitely keep those options open as well yeah and you know we've talked at one point in the past uh, and correct me again if I'm wrong, but you had a, a, a story that kind of illustrates that. It was a student that was thinking they were going to go to Ball State, if I'm correct, and they ended up at Notre Dame. Is that? Is that well, uh, it's, actually, it's actually one of the, and when we do a, a workshop for parents, it's one of the slides I present. And most parents look at sticker price and they'll discount schools based on sticker price. But, you know, I ask my parents that I, that I see in those workshops, I say, if, if your student qualifies to get into Notre Dame, as well as, let's say, Ball State or Indiana State, Notre Dame's at $70,000 a year, Ball State ISU is at twenty five dollars to $28,000 a year, where do you send your kid, right? And most parents are going to say, well, Ball State or Indiana State, well, unfortunately, based on the way schools do their financial aid, if you qualify to get into Notre Dame, it's probably a good bet that you'll pay equal to or less than uh, you would to go to Ball State or ISU for your student to attend Notre Dame, just by the way that they do financial aid. So the key is, let's find, you know, for our clients, we look at what's the what course of study do they want to pursue? Let's figure out what that interest is, and then we can figure out what schools you should look at. And quite often, we're going to find schools they never would have thought of that would be the best fit for them. Even though they might be pricier, they actually get more money from the, from the school, so it actually costs them less out of pocket over the long term. You mentioned sticker price, okay? So what you see is not necessarily what you get, right, or what you pay, I guess, more to the point. Um, <laughs> Correct. There are ways to kind of work through some of that in some cases. And I suppose that all these potential changes, to your point, is just going to make that even more complex or, in some cases, create more opportunity. Absolutely. Absolutely. So definitely, you know, I don't want any parents that I work with to ever, you know, shut out of school or choose not to look at a school because of sticker price. You know, it's like buying an airplane ticket. Uh, No one ever pays the same price. Definitely. um, If you're paying full price, then you've done everything wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I'll have to remember that when my daughter's going to school. (laughs) College athletics, near and dear to us, huh, Paula? (laughs) 
So where are we? So spring athletes are granted another year of eligibility, which impacts current collegiate rosters. And NCAA is allowing expansion, and, and but it all depends on what the school wants to do. They don't have to expand the roster. And in fact, Wisconsin's one of the schools that is not expanding, if I if I recall correctly. So some of those seniors may have just lost their opportunity to compete which might have been an op- lost opportunity to get drafted, uh, depending on the sport, et cetera. So, but it also impacts the high school spring sports seniors because they're going to receive fewer offers because uh, there might be a larger number of players at the schools they were going to attend. Now they have to decide, well, can I still go there? Will I have any playing time? Do I need to choose a different school? There's all, you know, they may not even get an offer because a lot of baseball is typically a late, late period offer scenario where they a lot of offers are made after, during or after the spring season, their senior year. So they could be just senior, you know, the lost senior year might be the last year they ever play ball. And then uh, available scholarships, baseball, for example, is 11.7 full, full, fully funded scholarships for an expanded roster. They, and not all schools are fully funded. So it all, you know, everything depends on, on the school, whether they, they want to offer more money to a larger roster, et cetera. So, that's depending on the school, everything could be up in the air still. So revenue shortfalls by reduced enrollments or the endowment losses will definitely impact how many funded, fully funded scholarships a sport will have available to them. And I do know that uh, sports are being eliminated. The Bowling Green State University baseball team eliminated their, their program, but the, the alumni came up with a way to support it and it's back in it's back on track because they raised over a million dollars to keep it in place but you know where my son went brown university they used the time to roll back how many varsity sports they make available and uh, drop them a number of them down to club scenarios which then eliminates if you do that that eliminates the athletic scholarship the difference is the ivy league doesn't give academic or athletic money so it's all it's all based on need but but if you don't have a varsity sport and a coach that really wants you, um, it, may, it may prevent a number of uh, potential students and athletes from coming to your school because they need to go somewhere where they're going to get the money that they want to get. So, for example, Dusty, my son, attended Brown University, and we were, you know, he got a 30 on his ACT, and we were told straight out that that wasn't enough to get him in if he was a, you know, just a general student. But the baseball coach wanted him, and so that's why he got in. Um, you know, there's all kinds of things that impact the decision for, an, you know, a student to be playing an athlete, be an athlete at the collegiate level, excuse me. But certainly the reduction in endowment money and the, in the potentially increased rosters are going to have a huge impact on, on spring sports students. So <laughs> how are the athletics going to move forward? <laughs> no one knows. <laughs> But, but I do think that uh, I do think that they're going. You know, the schools that are big football schools, that's where the revenue comes from. They're going to have to play. They're going to have to. That they need the. They, if if those programs don't go off, they don't have seasons. Then, athletics, as we know at a collegiate level, may be may be done for good. You know, that's a drastic scenario, but it's definitely a possibility. And when you say, I mean, we're talking about football, right? When we talk yeah. about the the revenue. I mean, obviously, spring basketball in the tournament generates a lot of revenue, but right. if football doesn't go off as planned, or at least in some fashion, that TV money goes away, then everything is a domino effect, right? Absolutely. Then yep. The funding to the gymnasts and the lacrosse and all those other teams is gone, right? 
Correct. Correct. Or it moves, or everybody moves down to club sports, <laughs> and nobody gets nobody gets scholarship money. Yeah. In fact, uh, I guess the opportunities or the possibilities there, and I think maybe speaking of South Carolina, didn't I just hear that some Clemson players had tested positive? I mean, if that happens to a handful of football players at the same school, they're going to get spooked, right? They're going to they're going to be nervous about trying to play at all fans or no fans well that you know that being said i mean you know let's say you have a population of fifteen thousand students what if 7500 of them are you know test are positive but they've never been tested they're still going to be there spreading the flu around and just yeah. like they you know they you know so whether it's football players or whether it's generic general students i in my person you know i personally don't think it should make that big a difference the, the reality is is that even though they may test positive, unless they have an underlying immune situation that's going to be a detriment to them, it's not going to impact the student population. It's going to, you know, potentially have an impact on on the maintenance, the administration, as well as the instructors, the professors, and that's where the concern should be. But stopping these kids from playing the sport doesn't make any sense whatsoever in my mind because it's not going, truly, not going to impact them or the people they hang around with. You know. You know, since it's a you know seven to fourteen day incubation period, how many people could have been impacted before they even tested positive? Well, Paula mentions that um, her daughter was a cheerleader at Xavier uh, in Cincinnati, in Ohio, and that was the same experience you had there, right, Paula? And we don't even think about that. You know, I had a college roommate who was a cheerleader, a male cheerleader. I should specify that for my wife's <laughs> sake, but he got financial assistance because he was a, a cheerleader and he I mean as much he was much of an athlete as any of the football players that I knew and put in the hours but yeah that's absolutely not the thing you think about necessarily is oh it's just the football team well it's not just the football team it's those people directly around them like the cheerleaders the training staffs and all those but then again if, if I'm not incorrect isn't football like 75 percent of the overall revenue that the entire athletics department brings in, John. I think that's a, that sounds about right. Could be even more than that, but okay, it depends on whether it's a football school or not. You know, some schools yeah, yeah. are not football schools. There may be lacrosse or might be hockey, like in the case of the University of Denver, for example. So yeah, even Xavier uh, would be a good example of probably basketball heavy heavy revenue at Xavier versus football. Lisa also mentions too, or asks. What percentage of sports scholarships have already been been eliminated? I'm, I guess I'm assuming that a bunch of them are already gone, at least for the upcoming school year. Is that right? Well, it, it depends on if they've eliminated the sport or not. But yeah. uh, I mean, you know, a fully funded program. Let's say, let's say volleyball that has 12 fully funded scholarships. Maybe they aren't able to fully fund 12 now because of the endowment losses. They might only be able to fund seven. So, and that's a headcount sport. So there might be only seven athletes out of the average roster of 15 that can get a full ride. So, but uh, baseball, let's take University of Dayton, for example. They may even be impacted worse than uh, many other pro baseball programs because when my son was being recruited at Dayton, they were only offering six full scholarships to be divided among 27 players. And they fundraised, they fundraised for two more. So they had a total of eight 
to divide among 27 players. So even even though a school, the, the program might be able to offer, let's say, 10 or 12 or nine scholarships, whatever the sport is, the, the school may not fully fund all of them anyway. The endowment losses and revenue losses that they may experience, there's going to be fewer scholarships to less scholarship money to spread out among the players. Parents are going to be on the hook or the students are going to be hooked for the the additional cost. Yeah, and I, you know, the last point I think that's worth some thought or, or consideration here is there are parents out there that may be saying to themselves, hey, my son is not a football player, my daughter is not a volleyball player or whatnot, and so this doesn't impact me. But the reality is reduced monies in the athletic departments is going to make it tougher on everybody. Is that right? Well, I think so, but the the biggest the bigger the bigger factor is it's a reduced endowment. So, and where they you know where they pull their money from for the scholarships that they give. I mean, if they're whether they're an athlete or not, there's still merit scholarships out there for you know academics or arts or what have you, and there's still need you know still need based money available out there as well. So, if they don't have as much money, then their budgets are going to be impacted, which means there's fewer dollars for everybody. Okay. Regardless of academic or, ac- or athletic pro- prowess, so so now f- changing plans by families and students, right? Even even schools at times. But uh, surveys of class of twenty twenty, almost fifty percent are changing plans, and that means they will either they've chosen not to go to school, are going to now work. They will delay their start date, which result in reduced revenue at schools, and uh, they'll change their projected career path to make sure that uh, they have something that will make them employable when they graduate. <laughs> they've seen their they've seen their parents uh, become furloughed, lose jobs, etc. So that's um, it's had a definite impact on on their families as well as the the kids that they you know they know that came from their their high school that are no don't have a job now because of let's say you know the degrees that they obtain. Who knows uh, you know how, how this is going to impact this year and the years going forward. But but the changes are due primarily to financial circumstances, lost savings, and college funding plans are are down due to the market downturn. Which unfortunately, you know, I don't. You know, my clients do not save in 529 plans because those are investment plans, not savings plans. They're subject to loss. And uh, even though the financial advisors in Wall Street tell us that they have the 529s have the greatest odds of having the money there when you need it, if there's odds involved, it's not a savings plan, it's gambling. Just so when the market went down, many, many, I think it was, I don't, I think it was like, I thought I saw, I don't know if it's millions or billions, but there was a 40, 40 million or 40 billion drop in 529 savings due to the market downturn. And that's money that's lost. You're never going to get it back. The value of the investments might rise, but you've lost money. Right. If that money that was lost, you hadn't lost it, how much more would you have when the market returns, right? We don't have our, and 529 money is not sheltered from financial aid calculations. We have money, you know, we have our clients place money in, in places that are sheltered. Not, and that's just the family circumstances, right? And they've used that money to set aside for school for survival purposes because if they have no income, they gotta they gotta survive somehow, whether it's their savings, whether it's credit cards or what have you. So it's been there's been a it's been an implosion of sorts on, on families' finances. But colleges and universities, their expectations are, you know, those are up in the air. Thankfully, 65% are planning to have on-campus classes again. The schools my kids attend to are, are, are moving that way for sure. But 8% have chosen to be online instruction only. 12% are hybrids. They still don't know what that's going to be. They might have three or four different plans there 
pursuing. And then 15%, the remaining 15% don't have a clue what they're going to do. <laughs> so I think they need to make some decisions pretty quickly. But then, you know, incoming freshmen, and this is all tied to the fact that they, I think they, you know, families and parents are expecting and paying for an on-campus experience, right? They're less excited about attending school because, you know, it might be online only, right? You know, they're concerned about impact on classes and academic quality. And I can say that that's the case because I know a number of my kids call classmates and different, they've gone to different schools. They, their, their exams there are, were easy to, easy to take, or they just, professors didn't even offer them because uh, that just wasn't how they, they were going to do their classes. So they just got the grade that they, they had at the time that they, they left campus, right? That, well, that's good or bad, depending on, you know, focuses on the class. I know when I was in college, a lot of kids waited till the last few weeks to get everything done and to study for their exams, et cetera. So their grades in the early, early goings weren't nearly as high as they, they were going to be when, the, you know, they had the final exam. So, so academic and class, classroom quality, dorm life is going to be different. Like my youngest daughter goes to Stanford, and now they're looking at every student having their own bedroom. Well, even if it's in a suite, so to speak, with of two or four people, they're still going to congregate, you know, in one room or in the central area. And how's that going to change, you know, anything with regard to positive and, you know, positive positive tests on COVID, et cetera. So, you know, athletics and school events, 50% of the students are concerned about the impact on that. Will they be able to even attend uh, those events that they were going, planning on being part of their school experience? Will the events even be there? So there's... Uh, Again, so much up in the air, so much up in the air that I really don't, I personally don't think should be up in the air, but I, I'm not as concerned, as cautious as a lot of other people are, would be, I guess. <laughs> well, is it fair, John, to, to, to maybe assume that colleges are waiting to the last possible minute to issue more definitive plans because they're simply waiting till they have as much information as possible or see how things are going? Well, I think so, and I think that's why they've they've expend, extended the uh, option to you know the, the the date that you have to choose what school you're going to. I know a lot of schools have moved from you move from May first to June first, and I think some have extended to July first. But the reality is, if school's going to start in the middle of August or slightly later, so that they can be <clears throat> done with everything except maybe finals and do online finals, you know, so families kids can go home at Thanksgiving. I know the schools that my kids are attending, they've eliminated limit eliminated the the fall break they're going straight through and once they head home for thanksgiving they don't come they're not coming back until after christmas so and then if they're athletes you, you know when are they coming back and do are, you know what states are they coming from are they going to have to quarantine before they can get you know get back on campus or quarantine on campus so uh, you know there's just a lot of a lot of issues out there well, I, I, I have to say that you said, thankfully, I think uh, you prefaced this comment, but it's still, it is still shocking to see that only, in my view, 65% um, <laughs> of schools are currently planning. I mean, that's, six, that's, more, that's a majority at least, but the other 35% haven't committed to anything is what it, what it really means. Well, you've got 12% looking at the hybrid, which means maybe some okay. on, you know, on campus and some online, you know, you know, how many students are we going to have? Are we going to have them come, you know, half come to this class this day, half the next day and, you know, vice versa. So, so you could still have, you know, almost three quarters having on, on campus experience, but not fully on campus. Well, I need to mention too, that uh, Paula with a smile uh, mentioned that, um, the Xavier football program is undefeated 
since 1976. Just to just to <laughs> throw that out there, um, that's that's an impressive record, certainly. I think if I'm not mistaken, it, it, Xavier he's playing football champ. in '76. Uh, okay, just a okay. <laughs> that's a good one, though. I like that. Oh, and then she mentions too that based just off distance from Indiana to South Carolina in this case, so I think it's what you're referring to, that your son's school offered him online only. So essentially they're saying that if you live within a certain radius, they still expect you to attend class physically. Uh, correct? Okay. And I think, you know, reasons, we... Go ahead, John. Which is one of the reasons why that they looked at uh, the apartment scenario to keep him down there. You know, we talked about, and we really touched on this a number of points throughout this presentation today, and we're getting to the end of it, and we'll have time for some questions if folks have them for sure. Our school's going to come back in the fall better equipped to deal with virtual learning than they were in the spring. And, and my, my gut says, well, yeah, they've had time now to work some of the kinks out and get used to it, whereas back in March, they were kind of like quickly forced into it. But in reality, are they going to be better at it? It's, I think it's going to depend on the revenue that the schools had because technology is expensive. In order to do this, they're going to have to be able to have the funds to to make it work. And I don't think, uh, I'd say half the schools probably don't have the funds set aside yeah. for that much technology improvement. I can share a quick story from an Indianapolis public schools perspective. I spent a few days back in late March or early April, packing Chromebook to ship out to students because a lot of students just simply didn't have the device at home in order to do the online instruction with. Now, that may be a little easier to deal with or accommodate with a college student, but gosh, it was, uh, aside from their ability or inability to deliver virtual learning, there were a lot of students who just weren't in a position to access it to begin with, which you know, it's just the reality of, of that circumstance. Going to class is already there. It's already in place. That's the, the pattern and the habit. It was a new thing for everybody to try to get into virtual learning. I At any agree. rate, I go ahead, John, if you have a comment. Say that, that our clients, we, we make sure that when we're talking about financial aid and how much we can potentially get for the students, uh, a laptop is actually considered an eligible expense for financial aid purposes. All of our clients are going to have uh, uh, some sort of laptop purchased for their arrival on campus freshman year, so to speak. So, I mean, that's uh, so colleges, college students shouldn't be as nearly impacted by online learning as the high schools would be. Well, with that, I'm going to open it up for questions. Um, uh, and Paula again mentions it's not only laptops, but it's connectivity. Not everybody has internet. And Gosh, depending on where you where you live, you may not even have access to get good internet, even if you have the money to to do it. Uh, and I know my internet connection here at home isn't cheap, so I know it's challenging for a lot of folks. And sometimes the quality of the internet connection can real negatively impact. Even if you do have that connection, may negatively impact your ability to participate in a class. But in wrapping up, I want to say that I'm Bob Mack with Huntington Learning Center of Indianapolis. We do ACT and SAT exam prep and tutoring for children in grades K through 12, subject tutoring, study skills. We've got some summer workshops coming up uh, within a couple of weeks now, one on uh, 
writing, uh, which we're real excited about. We're actually doing some prep courses on writing today to prepare for that. And today we've been talking to John Baird of College Planning Strategies, Inc. And John, maybe you want to give a brief description of what you and College Planning Strategies is about. Well, absolutely. We actually are, I created the CPS to help families find the right schools at the best price, uh, fund saving money in the proper fashion. So it's actually sheltered from the financial aid calculation, allowing the families to qualify for more aid per se and helping them choose a school based on what's the best fit for the student and the family, not just based on sticker price, helping them, depending on programs that they're involved in, walking them through the admissions process, making them the most attractive student possible. And if they're playing a sport, you know, helping them find the right school, because the best school may not be a school that wants them to play that sport. The best school might be one that's not have any, doesn't want, doesn't intend to have anything to do with the student athletically. So if you're going to play in college, you got to find the right school academically for you. It's not based on the coach, not based on the program, not based on the players that you might have met. It's based on what's the best fit academically, and that's the way it should be. Great. So, yeah, we help families of all shapes and sizes, and our target market is 7th through 10th grade, even though we can help 11th and 12th graders going forward as well. Terrific. If we can get them younger than 7th grade, we'll take them. Yeah, it's never too early to start preparing, am I right? Absolutely. If we can get you at conception, we will. We've got a family with, <laughs> with eight-month-old twins, so we're, we're, we're getting there. Wow, that's great. <laughs> well, I want to thank everybody for joining us today. Paula, thank you so much for your comments and questions. It was a delight to talk to you today. John, Absolutely. always nice to talk to you, of course. And we're having webinars through Huntington Learning Center every Thursday. I uh, will be talking to John here in the next few days about perhaps a follow-up webinar for a few weeks down the road because I think there's so much more material that's going to become clear as we move through the summer that it might be worth updating some of these topics, John, if that makes sense to you. Absolutely. Again, thank you so much for our friends on Facebook and on Zoom who joined us today. We'll get a link to this recorded webinar out to everybody later on today. And again, thank you very much, everyone, for joining us today. Have a good day. Absolutely. Take care.